1: Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker.
2: Jen Wiedestrom probably doesn't need an introduction to most of you listening to this. But for those of you that do not know who Jen Wiedestrom is, Jen Wiedestrom is a personal trainer, um, quite an influencer in the strength and conditioning community. And Jen and I connected because of mutual friends, but more specifically, because Jen follows a charitable organization called Kamagawa. And Kamagawa is someone that we have interacted with quite substantially. It's run by a guy called Timothy Sykes. And Kamagawa posted that big crocodile picture that was hunted by someone I know in Zimbabwe. And they put it up there. They said, I can't believe this is a trophy hunt. I can't believe it's still happening. The people of Zimbabwe are mourning the loss of this crocodile. There was no confirmed evidence that it was a man-eater. And I got tagged into the post, and I noticed that Jen Wiedstrom had commented on it, that she was so sad that this animal had died. Uh, Luckily enough, I reached out to her through Instagram DM. And I said, Jen, you know, I'm a big fan of yours. I'm a big fan of the people that connect the two of us together. And I want to tell you that the post is actually not true. The comment section, the actual narrative, the picture obviously is true. But the narrative of what they are saying is untrue, because I know that there were at least half a dozen shoes found in the stomach of that crocodile she was blown away, that I had contrary information to this very large charitable website, uh, Instagram page, sorry. And so, luckily enough, Jen and I connected at WinterStrong face-to-face, and then we set up a follow-up podcast in which I told her, I want you to ask me anything you want about hunting, and I want to tell the truth about it. And so this is what this podcast is, and I apologize for the length of the introduction, but... It is a substantial podcast with someone who is a deep thinker, that is not in the hunting space, that actually does not like trophy pictures of dead animals being displayed by her friends. And so
1: we had to have a very good, strong discussion. So enjoy. it's just a it's just a it's a it's a new chapter
3: well i think every book I,
1: has a chapter every book
2: has multiple chapters yeah people you know and you know it's you know whether you have kids or you get married or yeah your career your career changes right and your career you think
3: if you let it like from yeah. my perspective
2: if you let it, yeah. I, you know, when I, before I built Blood Origins, I had this idea in the university system, this is what I want to do. And I okay. was super passionate about it. And I was like, this is it. <laughs> well, no, it wasn't it. The universe well- had something else for me.
3: Can't it be it in the moment? I mean, it, what I'm finding more and more is if you go with the current or where life is taking you, I mean, even the conversation while we're sitting here today is because I've let the current take me and arrive me here. I wouldn't have picked it, and I wouldn't have planned it, and yet those are the best experiences of my life, the best conversations, the best jobs, the best people. So, if, again, if you let it, life will do be really good to you.
2: <laughs> well, uh, Jin, and I'm... <laughs> I've been working on your last name, and I hope I don't mess it up. Widerstrom, right?
3: Good job, Widerstrom. Think you, me, we. Widerstrom.
2: Widerstrom. Jen Widerstrom, welcome to the Blood Origins Podcast. I am absolutely humbled
1: to have conversations like this with people like you, because your community is not my community. You technically are not my
2: community. But you're you're weaving into it. Yeah, we are weaving. Like,
3: yeah, I mean, I can't tell if we're gonna fight, cry, or hug today, but I'm ready for all three. 100%. I, I mean, like you're you you defend something that I unfollow on social media. You know, I I hundred percent. I I follow, I have. I mean, the reason we met is through Bart Sower, and and when he has hunted something i don't like the picture i do I, I i have hidden like if i love someone and i don't like their feed because of what i'm like i'll hide it i'll mute it i'm like i don't agree with this i don't understand so it's it's just funny because we you know again completely different audiences but also completely different viewpoints so this is what makes it very exciting for me to have the conversations that are my favorite kind um coming to um seek understanding and uh-huh. information really uh-huh. i'm really here for information
1: uh-huh. and
3: and i think to reach understanding and to gain information aka be a student or something you must be open to it and so that's what i've, I've come with today
2: yeah yeah well jen for those obviously from our community uh, that don't know who you are what do you do jen
3: uh so uh, the two word answer you know or three word i'm a personal trainer I, um, I have found my passion. But you're a
2: famous personal trainer. You're not just a, like a Joe <sighs> Blow. You've got, yeah. what, 200,000 people that follow you? Something, I don't know, yeah. something like that. But you're, you're well known in the personal trainer space.
3: I am. I am. But um, I guess what I would say is that just because there's been a spotlight on my work doesn't make it any different than the work of the thousands of trainers and coaches that I, I, I see as my peers in our community. So I like to think that I'm one small um, example of the greater, the greater good. You know, my passion is public health, getting people to begin or begin again. Uh, and everybody feels that way. I don't care if you're a Super Bowl champion. Michael Jordan has had to start over in his fitness at, at a time or two a- after he was done three peating in Chicago. You know, so it's a feeling we all can understand, but it's hard to encapsulate. And so for me. I guess, like I said, the three-word answer is I'm a personal trainer. That's four words. Whoops. But ultimately, I develop people. You know, I I hang the carrot of weight loss in front of you, and once I bring you into my world, you'll find that you know, working on the waistline is something that's a side effect of the greater work we do, and and it's all it's all opportunities to experience yourself, experience your why, understand behavior change, understand routine versus motivation, and most of all, understand the shame that binds you to bad choices that have nothing to do with you most of the time and everything to do with your perception or the story you're telling yourself. So, Uh um, I love, I love workouts. I love when people lose weight. I love when people max out their bench or whatever, like that's all fun stuff. But you know, my true, my true passion is helping people kind of get to the root of what's holding them back and then to get them into their why. So.
2: And you're also now because of COVID have sort of expanded into a new chapter, sort of yeah. personal training, very famous people.
3: Yeah. Well, you know, it's fun- It's funny. I've always, I'm I'm, I'm a definitely a woman of the people. And I, for years, I've been offered to train celebrities. And I just said, wait, well, I have to drive how many hours to that person and spend two hours there and get home? And I'm like, I could take six people in that time. And only just because of the pandemic where my schedule, as everybody else's schedule flattened out, <laughs> I had this. A vacancy this availability to train people that were like performers that were trying to get ready to get onto tours whether it was amy schumer we did a whole tour last year and, you know and right now i'm on the road with john Mayer, and you know it's 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 an exciting feeling for me in a small way i feel like the movement and the health i bring to their life that they take on stage with them and they're helping millions of people smile again and uh, get out, get out again, and find some normalcy and joy again. And if I'm a small, tiny piece of that puzzle, that makes me feel very excited to be a part of the the team, because um, it does take a team. Um, but have you same, thought
2: about it a little yeah. differently? I just heard you say that you were in, you were in the public health space helping women in Nebraska. I e I could have, in the same time span, trained six people versus just the one. Yeah, but. John Mayo, Amy Schumer is a conduit to making millions of yeah. people happy.
3: Yeah. Well, and I, if I'm a small ripple in in their pond of positivity or feeling energized, you know, it's it's all their creativity and their magic. I can't I can't take a foothold in any of their of their genius. But um to be a, like again, a ripple in the pond of somebody's day, yeah. There's 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 magnitude there. For sure. And that's, Uh I I will tell you, it's what saved me in a lot of ways in the, in the, in the pandemic it is working with people that are just incredible uh, doers and creators. And, um, and also just being, I have my own private community that's an app group and I I started it for them and really they just saved me, you know, just having that built in community and accountability around real conversations, real hard days, real joys and journeys. Like, I mean, I, I tell them all the time, like, like my private group, I'm like, you know, like I this is basically for me now. <laughs> um but, but again they know they're they're a really big part of my life and I'm a really big part of theirs and I think that's why true connection hey. really works, right? Yep. Like that's it.
2: So setting the stage a little bit. Sure. Yeah. Um you would you consider yourself um an animal lover? Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Massively. Yeah, I
3: mean, I grew up with, like, my parents, I don't know what they are thinking, we had like five dogs at one point, and they were all big dogs, and we had cats and a ferret and a turtle and birds, and, I mean, we just, you know, I mean, always. Animal love, always.
2: hmm um, Family was not into hunting.
3: I think my dad would tell you he is, but I, I, you know, he has, like, an over-under pheasant gun, like, I learned about that, but he de- he's never shot it, you know? Uh, but but I'll tell you I, I'm gonna be very honest I I don't even like fishing because okay I find taking I mean and Grant, I'm I'm aware of the controversy of my statement like I eat fish I eat salmon but the thought of capturing something and ripping it out of its environment and stealing its home and stealing it from its family or squad of fish like that. That feels very intense to me, so I don't even partake in the act of it, or uh-huh. like like to uh-huh. see it. Uh-huh.
1: Uh-huh. Okay, so you, <laughs> you
2: probably you probably know my next question: Do you eat fish, Jen?
3: Oh well, yeah, that's what I said yeah, I I eat fish all the time. All the okay, time. yeah, and
2: eat meat all the time too.
3: Um, far less. Like, far I less might I have red meat maybe once a week. I don't eat chicken, eggs. Okay. Yes, you know.
1: Okay. Okay, um, so
2: fair is fair statement that you are not a hunter.
1: Correct.
3: Yeah. No.
2: Fair statement are you? Would you be in the non-hunting category or an anti-hunting category?
3: Well, I guess it depends on the outcome of this conversation. Uh, <laughs> No pressure, very no pressure, no pressure well, robin well but just honesty you know i think that yeah you, of course you, we can make strides in this conversation if we're honest with each other and so i would say i'm in i'm in the anti-hunting category fantastic um, and in fact well i don't want to i don't want to rush it because i was going to explain to them how we even got connected but if let's you're, do it okay go ahead so it had to have been six months ago uh-huh you agree uh, okay there was this post that came up and I actually went and I dug it up because it was so upsetting to me and I'll describe it for your listener. It was this massive uh, was it a, uh, I'm gonna look, was it a crocodile? Okay. Do do you, do you share your screen recording or no? Or just audio? Okay. I, I fill a picture. It was this group called Karma Gawa, this Mm -hmm. massive thousand pound crocodile and I, it's like, it's just, it's majestic. It feels like it's out of a James Cameron film. And it says, sad news, stop trophy hunts like this. And all I see are men smiling next to the strung up crocodile. And I was, I immediately, like my heart sank. I felt ill. I will not read the entire post because it has a little shot, bit of like to it, shot. but it uh... talks about an American hunter shooting and trophy hunting, this thousand-pound, you, know, um, tro- you know, crocodile, claiming, uh-huh. they're saying claiming it was a, a man-eater in Zimbabwe. And uh-huh. so, they, if they say there was no evidence that there was any incident, there's no evidence that this is a threat to its community, this hunter goes out, kills kills this animal for no reason, for it to be a legendary kill, right, for the picture, for the trophy, and I'm immediately upset by this. I'm angered. I'm devastated. As,
2: as most people would.
3: Okay. Yeah, Like I just was like, how can this happen? And they're, they're making this thing like, you know, sharks, this is just like crocodiles in rivers. They kin it to sharks in the ocean. There's 27 species of crocodile facing, being wiped out because of our human activity. This is wrong. And so for me, I just thought, how could we this kind of what i would consider violence on an animal that's doing nothing wrong that's not doing anything but living in its environment in its ecosystem and we're the ones coming in and and doing something and this is by the way off the heels of that that ele- that elephant seal that was killed on the boats in france
1: eh.
3: if you remember that because people it became this tourist attraction and they end up killing this animal because they were like well it's obstructing our life and i so I'm like, I'm just so sick of us getting in the way of uh-huh. life being uh-huh. able to live. Like, yeah. no one comes and shoots me out of my house. Completely so, understandable. So I-, I commented on that. And then, Rob, you you wrote me separately. And you're like, hi.
2: <laughs> well, I saw who you were, right? Yeah. I knew who you were. Yeah. Because of birdsorin Soren and our, in- in our engagement in our community and whatnot. And... The reason I saw you post your comment on that specific Instagram page, and here's where things are going to unravel, is that Karmagawa has a 1.5 million followers. Yes. 1.6 million followers. The guy who runs Karmagawa is a guy called Tim Sykes, Timothy Sykes. He also has 1.5, 1.6 million followers. Karmagawa does very, very, very little for wildlife conservation as a non-profit, as a charity. Okay. Number two, they use images like that to do what just happened in front of me five minutes ago. You're now super upset, understandably. You are, um, how can this be? This is unfair. And the
1: likely end result of that action is sending money to Kamagawa.
3: Can I just pause? It says on their Instagram page, charity organization, we donate 100% of our merch slash fundraisers to 85 plus charities. And they, by the way, posted this in conjunction with Save the Reef, which is another charity... Uh-huh. A- a- animal rights charity. So I'm like... So I'm not calling you a liar... But like, if that's if he's if they're not actually giving money to the support of animal species and preservation, how can they claim this on their page? And then who are we to believe?
2: Right, and and I don't have the backup. I don't have the research. I don't have the proof to say where their money is going. But let's play this specific picture out. Right in the comment post, they say. They claimed that this was doing harm. They claimed, I think you said like an incident, right? There's no, there's no claim of incidences around this crocodile.
3: Yeah, it, it literally their words were, despite their claims that this crocodile has eaten people and therefore, quote, was a threat to the community, there is no evidence of any mm-hmm. incidents and locals have always fetched water and bathed themselves in the pond where the crocodile was living.
2: Okay. So the person who killed the crocodile, I know him. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was tagged into that very, very early. I actually got sent the pictures. And so I knew the background of that crocodile specifically. So I knew, again, should they have posted that picture on social media as it is today? Probably not. If it was me, I would have put a different photograph. And I'll tell you what photograph I would have put there. Or two photographs, actually. Mm -hmm. This crocodile was shot in a ditch that ran close by a big irrigation ditch going by a local village. And when I texted you, I said, I'm going to read what I sent you.
3: Okay. I have that I too. Said, Go ahead. <laughs> I
2: said, Jen, I'm a huge fan of yours and we run in the same circles, Bo Bird, Neil, etc. I saw your comment on Kamagawa's picture of the crocodile that was hunted in Africa. I'd love to have you on our podcast. <laughs> to have a very straightforward Q&A about hunting, especially in Africa. I'd love to have the opportunity to provide you some truths. You can ask me anything, like we're going to do here, and I'd like you to, and I'll answer honestly, like I'm doing. For example, did you know, which is what I would have posted from a picture, did you know this crocodile had over half a dozen shoes in its stomach
1: when opened? I.e., it was a very well-known man And so taking a crocodile like this, if you took a step back, number one, it was a very, very,
2: very old crocodile. Hardly any teeth left in its mouth. Two, was a known man-eater. Probably why it has very little teeth. Humans, very easy prey, very simple, soft-bodied individuals to consume. Sorry if that's upsetting, but it's the truth. Uh Um, So... And then the third piece is, let's put ourselves, which is very difficult, because we, both you and I, I'm in Memphis, Tennessee. You are in New York City, New York.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Put yourselves in the village in Zimbabwe. And ask them the question. Are you sad that the crocodile's gone? Or would you still like to see it around?
2: Or are you happy that it's gone? Uh Uh-huh. I don't have the data. I don't have the interview footage. I don't have the video. I'm just going off anecdotal evidence
1: of people that they are cheering because they don't have to worry about that crocodile anymore to go bathe
2: in, to go fetch water from the local water.
3: Okay, so then I guess then here, is is this like a game of telephone where the message gets passed and then passed and then passed and then somehow... Karma no, got... so... they
2: don't know the real truth, because what they're doing is when they post something like that, they're not interested in that, Jen, because, for instance, let's just, let's for a second assume that they did know the truth,
1: that they did know it was a man-eater. Why would they say that?
3: Why wouldn't they?
1: Why would they?
3: Because right, no, it doesn't they...
2: fit their narrative.
3: Right, I mean, it doesn't so you're, fit
2: the, let me raise money, let's get people.
3: It's just about raising money and, like, and how do we know where the money is going? That's where, that's where I'm confused. I'm like, well, I do want to save the reefs and I do want to protect wildlife and I do want to get into how hunting, I have been told by people that like hunters support wildlife more than anyone, which feels like a juxtaposition. So I do want to uh-huh. talk about that. But I'm just, I just don't, I think we're in this place where it's, and it's not just in, in the circle of. Hunting or pre preservation. it's not it's in politics, like knowing what we can trust, like what is written on a newspaper or what is written in the post, how do we know is real? And I think so exactly. to 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 to, cl- to close the circle on this one, like how do we know what resources are trustworthy? Because if you're mm-hmm. saying he's saying on his page this guy that you know, you're like, I yeah, know, he doesn't he's he's not putting money towards his animals. so is he just pocketing it? like he may
2: be putting them towards like, you know, an elephant orphanage in Kenya or an orangutan orphanage in Indonesia. Those may be what he's funding, but he's definitely not funding a school being built in Zimbabwe in this village. Right. Or compensating, you know, you, know, you, 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 you would prefer the crocodile to stay alive. Let's, let's play the other side of the coin.
1: Okay. You'd prefer the crocodile to stay alive. Okay. So there is a cost tied to that crocodile being alive, which is human.
2: Human life is the cost. Like
3: monitoring. Oh, oh, that. There's a cost.
2: There's a cost to everything in this world. In this specific example, it's human life and maybe some cattle.
3: Okay. So then let's let's let. I'm going to take you to the next step. Let's forget the man, the the man-eating crocodile. Let's say you know you know that hunter. What we're saying, what we're hearing from him is the truth. The the shoes are in the belly. This was a good thing. What about the people that are trophy hunting? Period. Like that's another one. I perfect. I am like these majestic animals Uh are and and, and are people that I know do it, and I like them, and it makes me create distance with these friendships because I'm like, I don't know how you're stealing that life for a fucking picture for a, to be mounted on your wall like i it feels like such like
1: uh-huh.
3: oh, it don't, I, I don't even have the words i'm i'm I, I so help help me then understand that. So you know, that's th- awesome,
2: very simple questions, and it's have very straightforward honest answers, okay, yeah. So, do people go to Africa to quote-unquote trophy hunt? And I say quote-unquote very specifically because if you asked a hunter like myself, you said, Robbie, are you going hunting in Africa this year? I would say, yes, I'm going hunting. I don't have a descriptor in front of it. I'm not going quote-unquote
1: trophy hunting. Okay.
2: Okay? I am going to Africa,
1: and when I hunt... I'm using me as an example. I want to I want to have an
2: adventure of a lifetime. I want to see a place that I've never seen before. I want to meet people that I've that I'll that I'll cherish for the rest of my life, whether it's trackers, skinners,
1: community members, villagers, you know, all the things that we love. And the thing that is taking me there. The thing that, that the
2: reason why Jen Wiedestrom will never go to this village that I went to. because you wouldn't go there just to see it. Just like you wouldn't go to the top of Everest just to see it. You go there for a purpose, and my purpose is because I want to hunt an animal, and I want to challenge myself, and I want to find the oldest, maturest, male of the species I possibly can find. Unfortunately, that correlates almost one to one with it being the biggest, from a trophy perspective.
3: Oh, okay, but I'm going to push back. I know people that specifically go to places in Africa to, to hunt specific animals and they're like, oh, I've never shot a blank before, I'm going to go do it.
2: Yeah, so they are, there's definitely people who like to go to Africa and they like to kill things. And it's a check the box exercise, right? But the blank animal that they're going after is going to be in a place that they've never, ex- they've never visited before. It could be the Congo but jungle. But
3: again, it's just self-serving to those hunters. Like, I don't care. Like, I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah. Like, honestly, like, the people that haven't been to Africa, I've been five times and I've volunteered four of them. There's plenty uh-huh. to do in Africa other than kill. Uh-huh. So my thing, and I, and, 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 I, and I don't think Bert would mind, he was trying to explain to me the value of the trophy hunting and how it benefits a village.
2: Yeah, so the action, the action, see, the the unfortunate thing about the, the hunt itself, the act, it's not the unfortunate thing, but the difference between hunting and hiking is that the end result of hunting is you killing something, okay? So everyone, it's difficult not to fixate on that action. And what I like to fixate on is, okay, I can't change the motivation of an individual. I can't change the motivation of someone who is the check the box kind sure. of person. I can't change the motivation of someone who just likes to kill a lot of things. Um, but what I can focus on is the benefit and the consequence of the action of hunting. So what comes as a result of that individual coming to Africa? Okay. And for the vast majority of Africa, so I'll give you a statistic. Okay. In Africa... There's 1.5 million square kilometers. That is the size of Texas, California, and Montana combined.
1: That is protected by hunting outfitters, concessions. And yes, they're protecting it because someone's
2: going to come and someone's going to undertake the action of hunting on their place. But if you ecologically took a step back and say, what is the fundamental thing?
1: What is the foundational pillar for wildlife to survive in this world? What is the answer to that, Jen? I think it's a, um,
3: to me, it's a self regulated ecosystem, right? You've got. Correct. It is the habitat. Yeah.
2: It's the habitat. You have to have habitat you have no habitat. It's fragmented with people, with roads, with agriculture, whatnot. You're you're absolutely destroying wildlife habitat. And so, you need to protect habitat. So, hunting in Africa and all around the world, but we'll use Africa as an example because it's it's an easy one. 1.5 million square kilometers of Africa is protected by hunting. If you Combine the national parks. Go ahead.
3: I, I want to make sure I am hearing what you're saying. You said protected by hunting. So, like, are you saying there's fees you pay to hunt there, and that's what's? Pay- I'm confused.
2: So, I'll give you an example in okay. Tanzania. There's a place called the Moyowasi. The Moyowasi is juxtaposed from a game management area perspective. It's made up of six blocks, I believe. It's juxtaposed against Kigosi National Park. Kigosi National Park is a national park. No hunting. Tourism only. There's not a single tourist that visitors visits Kagosi. Okay? Ecotourism is it's built for ecotourism. There is no ecotourism. Poaching is rampant in kongosi National Park. Where? In the Moyawasi, there are there are operators that are protecting uh one operator is protecting two million square acres, one operator
1: is protecting like six hundred thousand uh square acres. Um, in Tanzania, that one block, that 600,000-acre block, they had to
2: go into an auction to bid on that block from the Tanzanian government, and they, they, they won the bid. It's for 10 years. They will have that block for 10 years. They have to do anti-poaching. They have to build roads. They have to build camps. They have to employ certain amounts of people. This is part of the plan of when you get this place. Every year, before a single dollar is made from hunting,
1: the concession fee for this block is two hundred and forty-five thousand U.S. dollars. Every year for ten years. That money goes straight to the tanzanian government straight away okay. right off the top then you have to employ anti-poaching right then you have to do your camps then you have to do your roads there's
2: a lot of investment and then the money that comes in gets plowed back in to anti-poaching specifically specifically in this place in moyawasi because here's the other th- here's one way to think about it wildlife. And it's a, it's a very crude way to think about it, but it's, it's good for, for context. Think of wildlife as an economic asset. Yeah. If you're a businessman, do you want more wildlife or less wildlife if you're in the business of wildlife? You want more. You want more. So the, there is an interesting paradox here in that you have hunters coming, killing your economic asset, right? It makes no sense. How can you kill yet grow your economic asset. The reason you can is by two mechanisms. Number one, you're putting a ton of money into anti-poaching to protect wildlife. Number two, you're very selective in terms of the animals that you take, which are the old males that are not producing any longer for the wildlife. You're protecting females, you're protecting young, you're protecting young males the reproductive engine of those populations such that when you come into an area and like the Maromeu in Mozambique, the Maromeo is a 500,000 square hectare wetland magnificent complex where the Zambezi melts into the Indian Ocean. I get goosebumps thinking about it because I'm a wetland ecologist.
3: Uh.
2: It was renowned. Hundreds of thousands of buffalo used to roam the plains of the Maromeo. Civil war wiped them down to a thousand buffalo. Oh. Because of feeding the troops, feeding the war, right? Essentially poaching rampants. Nobody cared about the place. A hunting outfit came in called Mark Haldane's Ambezi Delta Safaris. Today, there are 28,000 buffalo back in the Maromeo. Dan Cabela and the Cabela's Foundation created this thing called the 24 Lions Project. The Maromeo didn't have any lions, didn't have any predators, wiped out because of poaching. Hunters brought back 24 lions. That project now is actually called the 82 Lions Project.
3: Hmm. Okay, so I want to clarify something because you're, you, you're making this reference and I want to make sure I'm understanding you clearly. So you keep saying hunters came in and did this, hunters came into that. So you're saying you're a hunter. You come in and you want to, you sign up to, whether it's a trophy hunt or just hunt hunt, right? Without, you know, whatever that animal is, you have to pay a certain fee to do that. And that's why you're saying the hunters have brought this back. So based on those fees, these 82 tigers and these other the, no the, tigers the, in Africa. Yeah. The other, the, sorry. Thank you. The, the Buffalo guys to come as a hunter you have to pay a fee to exist here and that, those hunting fees are what keep the anti poaching uh, laws intact and allows you to staff the land and allows you to protect the younger male spe- is that what you're saying because yeah, like, I, so I, I,
2: I would if i was a hunter i'd be going in i'd pay a day rate okay for whatever animal Like if you if there's a specific day rate for dangerous game like buffalo elephant rhino lion leopard yeah it depends on the place it could be up to like seven hundred and fifty dollars a day and what that day rate is 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 for your guide your PH your your accommodation and your food essentially that's your day rate okay then on top of that is what you pay as your trophy fee. So if I wanted to kill a buffalo in the Zambezi Delta, above and beyond my day rate, so think of it as like your accommodation, right? Your accommodation on a day is seven fifty dollars a day. You're going to be there for 10 days. Uh-huh. That's paying for the camp staff and whatnot. The buffalo that I'm going to kill is going to cost me $15,000.
1: Uh-huh.
2: That's a trophy fee. That number then gets apportioned out. A certain fee of that number goes to the government, because that's the government tag. 2,000, 3,000. Now you're left with 12,000. Right. And that 12,000, now the business decides what do we do with the money with the 12,000? And this is where I think people
1: that hate hunting have an issue is because you just made money on wildlife and that
2: doesn't register you're not allowed to make money it's it's not it's not ever seen as an economic resource it's seen as well you cannot profit from wildlife that's a yeah, bad but thing but if so but
3: you're you're basically saying that the wildlife in certain parts of like Africa cuz that's what we're talking about is the same as like the oil in the Middle East that's their economic resource based on the land and the geography of that area 100% so, okay so that so the animals are the oil of Africa that's in the hunting world but i guess then the question is if we know because everybody understands taxes, government takes the tax. Those twelve thousand goes back to the preservation of the species. Is that yeah? So or, or if you land?
2: were if you were a if you were a rep- if you were a rep- reprobate, right? You are a shady outfitter, shady guy, and there are lots of them out there. I'm not saying that there aren't. Then you would go and you would bid on a concession, somewhere in Africa, What's Zambia. That mean?
3: A concession concession
2: is an area, an area that I just, with the government's tendering a block of land, 200,000 acres, everyone put your best price forward. Well, I'm a shady shady character, right? I come forward, I've done a little backhanding, a little bit of um, corruption type scenario, and I get the bid for my $100,000. And that's what I pay. But I'm not really interested in wildlife. I'm not interested in in doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm just interested in making a buck, making money. And so I don't invest in anti-poaching. I don't invest in anything because I've got a five-year... A lot of these places used to... Some of them still do, but they used to have very tight turnarounds in terms of how long you held the property for.
1: So it's like a lease. Five
2: years. It's like a lease. It's exactly right. So typically now your leases are 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, because... The guys like me, the good guys, are saying, in five years' time, I've invested all this money in roads, in camps, in anti-poaching, and you're going to take it away from me in five years' time? Okay. So the guys, that's why you had bad operators in the beginning, is that these guys are like, screw it. We're just going to rape the land.
1: We're just going to pull, we're just going to take, 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 and not invest in the land. And there's so bad you're...
2: apples in any industry. Unfortunately, well, those bad apples are, are bad representative of who we
3: are. Well, yeah. I mean, listen, I'm a personal trainer, and most of the health industries are bullshit, you know? We, we're fatter and sicker than ever and have more leadership in health than ever. So it's like I totally understand that parallel of the wrong the wrong representatives for that, for the, for the, for the, I would say, the mindset of the heart of the, of the many. So I do understand that. I, I guess so it it's almost feels like a juxtaposition, but you're saying that the people that, um, that are uh, the ones that actually are, the hunters are actually the most excited at preserving, like the lovers of the land, the lovers of the animals in, in, in a way. I, I, I think it's just, I, I think it's just hard to put those next to each other. Like in my. In think my, of it
2: like this.
1: I think you've got to, you've got to, Gotta move away from the individual animal. That's where people get tripped up. Is that that
2: if you focus at the level of the individual animal, you're like, how can that be? How can how can the the killing of that one animal save lots? How 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 beneficial? Why did you go do that? When you take a step back and a level up and you look at the population level
1: of a species for the population of buffalo and the marameo then taking that one animal that's already past his reproductive prime, the money, th- that animal's going to die. So let's, let's be clear, number one, that animal will
2: eventually die.
1: Uh-huh.
2: Either going to die of an old age, or a lion's going to take it out, or a leopard's going to take it out. It's not going to be a Disney-fied, ending. No. It's going to be violent. It's going to be cruel. Mother nature, she's a bitch. All right? At the end of the day, that's what she is. But if you if you put a value on that animal at those
1: last stages of life and that money then gets reinvested so that the overall population grows and is sustained. I think then someone who's an anti-hunter if you had to ask them a question if I had to ask you, Jen, a question yeah. what would be the ultimate goal for preserving wildlife what is the ultimate goal for preserving wildlife
3: I mean I, I, my rant re- answer is just to allow the species to carry forward right that's so that your kids
2: and your grandkids can see it one day
3: yeah i mean didn't we just have the last male african white rhino right north north african he just passed like
2: yeah so there's two females left
3: right i just saw them in the san diego safari zoo ironically Mm -hmm. i was just Mm -hmm. there and so you're just like so but but was that extinction due to poaching correct not hunting which is two different things and i think that's maybe something i need to get clear on Yeah, so we'll talk about that. Pays into the system and pays to keep these animals alive, whereas poaching are locals that are poaching specifically just for the tusks and the ivory.
2: Yeah, so just so we close the loop on the preserving of animals for future generations. I think an anti hunter would be that's what we want to preserve wildlife for, but that's also
1: what hunters want to preserve wildlife for. There's just two different mechanisms, two different tools toolboxes to go to the end at the same end result so how do we stop how do we stop
2: the curtailing of that goal which is the diminishment of wildlife populations the raping of the land uh the all sorts of things
1: well one of the most prolific uh harms to wildlife in africa is poaching and so, so generally, what is the difference between poaching and hunting? I'll use this analogy. It's like saying that shopping and shoplifting are the same things. Okay, one is legal, one is illegal. One is selective,
2: i.e. we're selecting the maturest male of the species
1: one is indiscriminate to what it takes male female young old doesn't matter one is tries to be as humane
2: and ethical in the value of taking the life of that
1: animal taking you with a high powered rifle as close as possible quick termination of life
2: one has no care in the world for how long that animal suffers. Could be in a snare for 24, 48, 72 hours. Could even just be forgotten on the snare line. I just saw a video of a yellow-backed daker out of Cameroon that got caught in two snares. God escaped the first snare by literally stripping its flesh off of its leg and then succumbed to the second snare that was around its neck. And how did, why did they find the animal? Because the poacher had forgotten or didn't want to come back or thought there was too many people around so I'm not going to check my snare line.
1: Both make money tied to wildlife. Okay. This one invests back into wildlife. This one is for profit only.
3: So, I have a question for you. When you go uh, you uh, generalize you, you go on a hunting expedition in Africa.
1: Uh-huh.
3: And you talk to me about your day rate. The seven fifty a day gets you uh-huh. people that are working for you, the person uh-huh. that's driving you, your car whatever it is. Like obviously it takes a crew of people to kind of know where the animals are and help help you kind of set up your I guess shot. I, I'm kind of speaking out of my ass right now. I don't really know how how to call it. So I guess my question is because I'm already seeing five steps down the road. Let's say we outlaw hunting in Africa. We're saying, it's bad. Let's, all these, all these websites that I'm seeing that are posting these terrible crocodile pictures, they get their way. Hunting stops. But what happens to all those locals that are being paid honest dollars, right? And By what you're saying, to go help, do they just end up turning and becoming poachers? Like, do they end up saying, well, I've got to feed my family, my tribe, my village anyways. I'll just go to poaching, and then the animal dies anyway?
2: Yeah, and many more animals will die because there's no... I'll answer it a couple of ways. Yes. Right, Some will turn to poaching.
3: It's desperation, Um, right? They don't care. They just, like, we need a paycheck.
2: Need a paycheck, and we need to feed our families. Right. I would do the same thing. You would do the same thing.
3: 100%. That's why I was like, okay.
2: The other thing is... (sighs) If it, there's a, there's, a, there's a, a saying called, if it pays, it stays. So if wildlife pays, whether that's ecotourism, or hunting, or management, it's going to stay, the wildlife's going to stay. But if wildlife doesn't pay anymore, if hunting
1: is banned, something has to pay. Poaching will pay, illegally through the bushmeat market. Cattle,
2: cattle pay pretty good. Sheep pay pretty good. But what competes with cattle and sheep for the resources, the grass, and all that kind of stuff? Wildlife. I don't want wildlife competing with my cattle and sheep. That's what's happening in Kenya right now. Kenya banned hunting in 1977, Jen. Kenya has lost 80%
1: of its wildlife. Whoa. But how is that
3: possible? It's It's unregulated? It's possible because
1: they have Well, because
2: there's no protecting of wildlife anymore. There's no value of wildlife outside of the beautiful national parks that Kenya has. Kenya has amazing wildlife.
3: I've been there. Inside of national parks. Yeah,
2: yeah. You will not find a stitch of wildlife anywhere outside of the national park.
3: Is it because there's no protection for the animals because they're claiming the hunting doesn't happen so the poaching goes unregulated?
2: No, because there's no value for the wildlife anymore. It's competing with my cattle. It's competing with my goats. It's competing with the avo farm that I want to put in. It's competing with agriculture, row crop oh, why agriculture. Why would that make the
3: wildlife go away? Like they left to greener pasture, so to speak, because there was <laughs> no, no, too much. No, no, no,
2: no. I know. They goodness. were. They were but, taken out
3: by by who though? Poachers. By the government? people
2: that yeah poachers
1: by the landowners, all of it.
3: So you're saying because the. Because they made their agricultural asset, which well, this doesn't make sense, but like, okay, I'm gonna reverse like oil is to the Middle East. Instead of seeing their wildlife as a resource in that way, even though it's uncomfortable for people to think of it that way, they made cattle, sheep. That it wasn't their resource, a resource.
2: That's the thing. It wasn't a resource anymore. Why? What? What makes a resource a resource?
3: It's value. People it's valuable it. to someone. Yeah, demand. Demand.
2: There was no value. There was no demand.
3: So then the, of, the, the On the any people... wildlife
2: outside of the national parks.
3: So then the people of the country just killed, killed them off their land, said, fine, we don't need this. We're not going to get paid for this. And they get rid they of
2: didn't them. technically, like, that's, they didn't take that attitude, but they were like, I'm going to poach, just like, because they don't have any wildlife. They don't have any value anymore to me. I'm not bringing hunters in anymore. Okay. So let me feed my family. So I'm going to poach a couple of animals. Um, oh, I can actually, if I, if I poached a couple of more, I could sell them on the bushmeat trade so I can make a, little, a couple more bucks. Then with a couple more bucks, I'm like, okay, I can buy some cattle and some goats and some sheep now and I'm going to graze them. Well, geez, that impala herd over there is competing on the grass that is now fattening up my beef and my, and my sheep and my goats. So... I'm either going to poach them, or I'm going to push them out. I'm going to just shoo them away, kind of snarling, let them get poached somewhere else, or die of old age or starvation, whatnot.
1: Yeah, this the resource has to have value for it to to do anything.
3: So it's the biggest. So hunting is the biggest juxtaposition. I think... Let me
1: give you the, the
2: coolest no, thing. I, I'll give I you get, the coolest okay. thing. I'll give you the coolest example. Promise? Outside of Africa now. <laughs> okay. Outside of Africa now. Yeah, okay. What would you say... Let's, let's test. What would you say is like the coolest... Except tigers, because you probably got tigers, because you said tigers earlier. What is the coolest carnivore oh.
3: that you can
2: think of in the world?
3: Coolest carnivore? Uh... Cat.
2: The coolest cat. Oh,
3: Okay, I was going, I was going to say a shark.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
3: going off the, the land. Coolest
2: cat, the coolest cat in uh, the
3: world. I mean, I guess I honestly, I really I think cheetahs are fucking cool. Cheetahs are cool. Cheetahs are really cool.
2: I, was, I would say snow leopards are pretty darn oh, amazing. Those are
3: pre- yeah. Ever seen the, uh, sorry, sidebar, have you ever seen The Secret Life of Walter Mitty? Eh. Oh my gosh. Do yourself a favor. I'm going to say you're welcome in advance. It's such a wonderful, wonderful film. Such great messages, and but there's a snow leopard in it. They, they, they have a specific name for it's a whole thing, but Sweet. you have to see it. Okay, keep going. Okay, okay
1: so, no. so the
2: snow leopards live in the mountains of oh, Tajikistan, now I, now I Kyrgyzstan. Get your joke.
3: The coolest cat, cool, cold. Got it. Sorry. Oh, you
2: know, you know, I'm a pretty, pretty corny kind of guy.
3: It was over my head. Keep going. Sorry.
2: Tajikistan, Kyrgyzstan, and the mountains of Pakistan. There is a species of animal, a goat species, in those mountains, and specifically we'll look at Pakistan now, called the
1: Markhor. M-A-R-K-H-O-R. This huge, spirally-horned animal. It had a
2: population that was really in dire straits. It was like close to 300 individuals in this population in Pakistan. And the reason it was 300 individuals is because it's a goat species, and it would compete for resources with the local goats, okay? It's good table fare, it's great eating, they would poach the animals to improve resources for their goats, but also put meat in the pot
1: for the village, okay? Well, about 20 years ago, I think 15 to 20 years ago, someone realized
2: that, wow, one of the check the box guys Said, can we hunt a Markle? Somebody did some checking. Somebody with the government in Pakistan said,
3: Oh, to clear, yes. To clear for it, you're saying, you're going to check the box guy. You're saying, there's a person, a hunter, and said, I want a trophy kill. One of those, is it Correct. on? A, okay, is it available? Okay, keep going.
2: And somebody said, Yes, it is.
1: But it's going to cost you $250,000. And the guy said, done. No. Yes, done. Jen, today, there are over 3,500 Markle in the mountains of Pakistan.
2: There are six to nine tags every year for old, mature male Markles. Every tag goes for between $160,000 and $250,000. 75% of which goes back to the villages in the high mountains of Pakistan. They have electricity for the first time. They have running water for the first time. Women in Pakistan are going
1: to school for the first time. Oh, and the snow leopard population is absolutely booming. Why? Because they have prey on the landscape for the first time. All because of what?
2: All because, okay, let me be completely dead honest. All because a rich American wants to go and kill a trophy sized animal. Yes, he's going for the adventure. Yes, he's going to experience a different culture. Yes, he's going to form phenomenal relationships with the
1: guides and the trekkers of the mountain. Okay, but look at the benefits of that single action. And unfortunately, we've done a terrible job of articulating those benefits and consequences.
3: I mean, I'm, I honestly am getting tears in my eyes because you don't realize how the quality of life completely shifted for not just the ecosystem of the animal because of what was invested in their you know, preservation but because of the community and the culture, like it is, they're like inextricably linked. And I I think that's something that what you you really changed in my mind in this conversation was this concept of if we can not diminish life in this statement, but like if we understand that the, the life, those animals are a form of currency for these different cultures and we can use it by creating wealth for the community, reinvesting to protect the animals, it feels like a transaction that makes a hell of a lot more sense. And I, and think, I
2: still get the idea that the transaction is difficult to comprehend.
3: Yeah, but so is most of life. <laughs> There's so much that I don't understand and comprehend, and yet we go along with it. And, I mean, heck, we all saw Will Smith hit somebody on stage and national champ- TV a year ago, and we all just went with it. So let's not get into you know what I mean. What we make excusable or not, uh, we treat each other terribly as humans. I-, I can't even don't even get me started on school shootings. And we're going to be upset, you know, about something that's in a far off place that we don't understand. I think I think what I'm I think my my resound- my residing anger is with the misinformation from. The groups that claim to be protecting the, these animals, when in fact they that it, it what it really sounds like is hunters should be made taken in as allies, not as threats. And uh-huh. and knowing this was something I got into as well uh, when we were at Winter Strong. Someone was telling me, I think it was Bird, about like the fees. just you know we're talking about all these places, Africa, Pakistan. Just the United States. If you're hunting in the U.S., like you have to pay a, a yearly fee. There's fee like the, the money that you guys put in, I uh, just on a yearly basis. Like, could you could you just give me like an estimate of what sure. that is and what percentage of that actually goes to wild, like preserving our country's natural so wildlife? So every
2: so every state agent, every state has a state agency, natural resources agency. Wildlife Fisheries Department, Game and Fish Department, whatever. Every state has one. Okay. All of the tags that come from fishing, that come licenses that come from fishing. Help me understand.
3: When you say tag, that means I, I get, I have this tag that means I can, I have permission to take the life of blank animal. Correct. So So that's why you you have have to buy a license. You have to buy a
2: license. Okay. And above and beyond the license. So you have to have a license to fish, and typically that's all you need. For hunting, you need a license to hunt. And then once you've got your license to hunt, you then have to decide what tags, what animals you want to hunt, and then you get tags for. So in Mississippi, Mississippi, I'll use white-tailed deer as an example in Mississippi. We have a very, very, very abundant population of white-tailed deer. I get six tags a year for deer in Mississippi. As a non-resident, I want to go hunt an antelope in Wyoming i don't live in wyoming but i can buy a hunting license in wyoming and i can go in the drawer which costs me money that i never get back to have the chance of hunting wi- uh, an antelope in wyoming wyoming on an annual basis from fees and licenses and tags alone generates somewhere north of 44 million dollars for its game and fish department okay
3: from our That's hunters just... and fishers
2: Well, Wyoming—it's just hunters, but a lot of state agencies are developing a lot of money from hunters and fishers. Here's the second big number that nobody knows about, and it was a a brainchild of Theodore Roosevelt in the conservation era of the 1900s, 1910s, and then Franklin D. Roosevelt signed it into law in 1937, called the Pittman-Robertson Act. And what the Pittman-Robertson Act does is it creates an 11% excise tax. A federal excise tax on all guns, all ammunition, all hunting-related apparel. There's also one for fishing nobody knows about called Dingle Johnson. Does the same thing. And what Pittman-Robertson does is 11%. You don't even see it as a consumer. I go and buy a box of ammunition, 40 bucks for a box of ammo. Right. 11% of that money gets funneled into the state tre- into the federal treasury to Fish and Wildlife Service, and then Fish and Wildlife Service distributes that money to every state agency based on an algorithm of the area of the state and the number of license holders that you have. Remember that point because it's a very keen point that people forget about. And so this year, 2023, Pittman-Robertson delivered $1.6 billion dollars back to every single state agency across the country. Wow. It's record setting, record setting. So now, let's go back to the argument that says, I want to ban hunting. In the American context, like California has banned a bunch of, of hunting-related practices, Washington State has just banned one form of bear hunting, which means those people who choose to hunt those species that just got banned aren't buying any licenses.
1: Uh, Aren't buying any
2: tags. Which means that state, based on the algorithm of Pittman-Robertson, gets less money.
3: So, what a kick in the pants. So you're telling me the states that are banning these licenses and these tags to, in a way, fight for animal rights, is actually taking from the money that gets distributed to them, to them by the U.S. Treasury to actually protect them.
1: Correct.
2: So, Jen, when you are in New York or in California, do you like to go to like a wildlife, wildlife management area, like a wild area, like a state park and work out or well, walk or?
3: Oh, whenever you can. I mean, listen—the most wild place we have is Central Park, and that's a very wild. <laughs> uh, I don't know if Central yeah.
2: Park is a technically a New York State Park. I don't know the no, technicality no, I'd of it. No, I have to go
3: further north. Yeah, so but I do, I do enjoy national parks. I mean, I just a week, ago, two weeks ago, I, I drove down to San Diego, and it's it's their they call it their safari spa, their safari park, and t- just a huge. Yeah, amount of Yeah, but that's space. a
2: private. That's a private. Right, but that's the only. I mean,
3: (laughs) you really have to seek it. Yeah.
2: No, I mean, like, um, so, for instance, here in Tennessee, right? I can go up the road and I can go to Herb, Herb Parsons Lake State Park. Oh. And I can recreate
1: on it. I can hike on it. I can walk my dog on it. I can fish the lake. Right. That park was funded. By hunters and shooters. Yet, people that use it all across the country—California,
2: Colorado, Montana, New York, Florida—are against hunting. Will actively petition against hunting. Yet, will go tomorrow
1: and camp.
3: I mean, i like, i This is kind of a funny comment, but I mean, now I understand why you know, you, you tracked me down on social media and at Winter Strong when we were talking because I'm like, all I could think about is like, well, then how come I don't know? How come this isn't visible information? How come we are not aware of this kind of information around the financial support that comes from hunt- the hunting community into these funnels, whether it's a state park to hike in or to actually preserve the animals that are, are at risk or not at risk, whatever, like, I don't understand I really don't understand how this information isn't made more visible.
2: Because hunters and hunting has been in a closet for 30 years. We don't want anyone talking about us. Let us just do our thing. We're quite happy. Leave us alone. And now, all of a sudden, they've got a PR problem. They have a perception problem. And that's what Blood Origins was built for. Blood
1: Origins was built to say, hey... You do such a good job. Let's pat ourselves on the back for a second.
3: Well, it's more than that. I mean, I I honestly didn't know what I was coming to get here. Like I said, I wanted understanding and information. And maybe I'm just, you know, maybe I'm a dreamer, but I just, uh, to me, I'm like, why can't we call the guys at Save the Reef and Kamagawa and say, why don't we team up? Like, Hell I don't yeah. understand the divisiveness. And I would
2: say, like, I would say yes. Like, from a hunting perspective, no other hunting organization probably would. But I would, for instance, I'll give you an idea. But
3: why, why not?
1: Because it's bad business for them. Ah. Uh. Think about it like this, right? Kamagawa, let's just use Kamagawa,
2: or let's use the Humane Society. Okay. Would never team up with a hunting organization. Because it would alienate Fundraising efforts for them. That, at the end of the day, drives it all, Jen. And Money. it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate. But for instance, two years ago, there are
1: 116 elephants, live elephants, up for bid, up for tender. Come and get them. In Namibia. And you had to prove like where you were going to put them.
2: We did some behind the scenes work. We calculated it was three and a half million dollars. To move 116 elephants, right? Namibia has like over 36,000 elephants right now. So where elephant populations are right now, they're burgeoning. So Zimbabwe has about 100,000. Botswana has 130,000 elephants. There's a lot of elephants in these places. Like moving 116 elephants is nothing. It's a drop in the bucket, okay? But three and 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 a half million.
3: And who paid for that? Like which preservation? I was trying
2: to. I was like, why don't we join up with the Humane Society?
3: Yeah.
1: It's like you bring your money, I'll bring our money, let's go 50-50, fifty. Let's do this. Nothing. Credits. Yeah. And so
2: they uh, unfortunately I think like eighteen or nineteen only tended like nineteen elephants, and those elephants
1: went to the United Arab Emirates. Oh. And that means like No, no they're gonna be in the Safari Park. They're right, they're in gonna United be in Arab- the Right? They're oh. just
3: gonna okay. So, do you ever get overwhelmed, disgruntled?
2: Not really. With, with I, I get disgruntled forward? with our. I get disgruntled with our community, with the hunting community, because I I see it. I see people shooting holes in the boat every single day that we're trying to row upstream. And
3: give me an example of that, because that's what well, you're okay, saying. I'll it's give, the I'll bad apples. A, a,
2: yeah. Yeah, I'll give you a terrible example. Great. Um You know, and. Unfortunately, today's world lives in a a virality social media space, a viral social media space. Uh, Some dumb redneck in whatever state has strung up a deer, has gutted it already, full carcass in your face, and they decide to chug a beer down the carcass, down the esophagus, and they're lying under the deer, chugging a beer. Uh,
1: Oh, And you wonder why hunters are monikered as you don't respect wildlife. And it's like, look, uh... you can have fun. I get it. Do what you need to do. Just don't stick it on social media.
3: Well, it's tough because the extremes are what sell. Extremes (laughs) are what take attention in. (laughs) Um... We in the fitness world, we've just got this idiot. Her name's Tracy Anderson, and sh- and she claims, you know, you'll lose seven inches in seven days. These extreme promises, these extreme actions, and unfortunately, that when people come into my ecosystem, they're like, "Why isn't it happening faster?" I'm like, "Because that's not real. That's actually not how it works." And I'm, you know, and so I do understand when someone in your peer group because that that redneck as you put it is in your peer group yep behaves in a way that speaks for the collective and that's truly not the case yeah you get it and i think it's tough because i mean listen my parents i'm so i'm so grateful for the way we were raised chicagoans they're both late 70s we were never brought up with religion but instead really principles of like native american culture and we are we are not we have no native blood but my mom was is a he has her master's in like you know ancient cultures and 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 so for her understanding the from what what you know just the history of this country alone and what and and the native respect for what happens to the animals and the way that the respecting of the sun and the rain and the growth and using every piece of an animal, so it's like it wasn't about the killing that was the issue. It was because it was done with respect and with re- well reverence to the entire life. The pr- everything that went into it had power, had meaning, and so when you talk about the you know the deer esophagus beer bomb, it starts to to change the way we feel about why that life is like well what's the point well the point maybe for that man was for the hilarious video that he thought would make his friends laugh but the overarching reality is that man pays the taxes on all of those bullets all of those guns and his tax fees and that's what's going to create the preservation so the so you you actually open our conversation with this you're like i don't I don't know all the motives or the, uh, you know, or the whys or the whats, but I can tell you, regardless of whys and whats, that's it a good does point. pay for this. That's a good point. So, you know, and, and that's hard because, you know, I'll go back to my example. Maybe deep down, Tracy Anderson really cares about people. Maybe someone is losing weight. Maybe lives are being changed. And heck, maybe she posts a picture of her butt on her Instagram. <laughs> and regardless if she's, I mean, she's a natural size too. There's no work put into them. But maybe that motivates somebody that's scrolling to start doing some squats or to start walking or to start doing something. So in a way, you and I might need to check our judgment a little bit. Uh-huh. But but I, I'm, I'm grateful to have a clearer view of the responsibility that the hunters and shooters do take on in the role of preservation, because uh, it's far greater than I understood, and I'm I'm grateful to have been schooled <laughs> on all of this. I, I, truly, because I, I obviously I came in like with some anger and confusion, and that that's never a place to operate out of an opinion on something, and so. I really am grateful for the time to listen, and even even the story in Pakistan with those goats just they, that shifted something in me. And that's just I'm sure story. one story, one yeah, of one many. Story
2: of many, yeah, of many. But what you said about Tracy Anderson, I think what, I think that's how and why you get what I what we've been communicating here is that you've got an outward facing X on whatever community you live in and people create a perception around your community based on X and when they come in, you're like, Oh no, 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 no. It's not X. It's Y. Well, why don't you know about Y is because Y hasn't done a good enough job. And from a hunting perspective, Y hasn't done a good enough job in saying this is who we
3: are. Yes. But also, but by the way, you're here and you're doing it to give yourself some credit. But the other part of that is because X tends to be louder. What is, eh. is going to be louder will be the extreme. I am, I am not an extreme person. I live in reality. I live in consistent, non sexy, replicable results. That is not clickable. <laughs> <laughs> no one gives a shit. No one cares. Like I literally, when I pitched a book to my publisher, my first book, I wanted to do something called the one-year diet. Do a year with me, and I'll get you there. And they were like, <laughs> "That's hilarious." Four weeks or less, and I was like, "Oh, <laughs> okay." Um, and you know, and by the way, like I, 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 I give away free challenges that are four weeks or thirty, you know, four weeks, thirty days, whatever. And I always do a big team meeting right before I start because it's I, I just I just I basically just manipulate people because i don't think manipulation is a bad thing when it comes to communication and leadership if you're taking them somewhere good right i manipulate you into the group it's free it's short this is gonna be awesome we're gonna lose weight first meeting i go okay so i want to be honest i brought you here under different circumstances that are what we're really gonna do and everybody laughs together and they learn together and they see that oh my gosh this is a 30 days this is the first day of the rest of my life Uh but we're gonna do it in bites and I feel like with what you're doing, this you've gotta do it in bites. Okay. Because I and you and you are. I mean and, and I I mean this, this podcast alone is a part of one of those bites. Mm-hmm. Um I'm in a bit of a tangent now, but I hope any no. of that made sense. So
2: this is what I would
1: say, right? Yeah. Any time in the future a crocodile type post comes up in your feed first thing you're going to do is you're going to share it with me
3: okay (laughs) okay
1: okay and
2: then you know depending where we are we podcast about it or we go live about it on instagram and we're like all right let's do this right here right now in front of everyone and we talk about it or i give you the information that i have and you can you can um Decide what you want to do in terms of your research.
3: Far more fun to fight with you. This is all great. This is great. I love
2: it. I love (laughs) it. I'm looking forward to the next one.
3: Um. No. Thank you so much for this. Honestly, and I and and thank you for that open door policy on what comes up because, um, as always, if I have a question, I'm sure everybody else does. You know, this is not a unique experience that I'm having, and to have. Insight from someone that really knows the difference, that knows the hunters, that knows the, you know, the, the people that are actually there is a helpful and, frankly, really needed insight on, on these topics. So, thank you. Well,
1: I appreciate you being open-minded to Jen. Of course. <laughs> well, that's it for today.
2: I appreciate you listening, as always.